Welcome to Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky, where we help you to create more safety and enjoyment in the bedroom. I'm Natalie Viers, a pleasure and intimacy coach. And I'm Rocky Peterson, Yoni massage practitioner and pleasure educator. This is a space where you get to open your mind, be free of your inhibitions and play. Hey folks, this is Natalie, and I wanted to slip in here at the beginning of this episode real quick and drop a little trigger warning. I'm not usually a believer in trigger warnings. I don't know if you can tell from the name of this podcast, but I prefer to warn people with a little you know, bold and in-your-face <laughs> outrageousness so that you kind of come prepared to... <laughs> To hear some things, but I I felt at the end of recording this kink episode, we do get into some topics that involve sexual assault and things of that nature. And so I just wanted to drop in here that if that's a topic that is especially sensitive for you, if you regularly experience a trigger when, when that topic comes up, I just wanted to prepare your little ears and just kind of extend a blanket warning over this whole podcast. And that's that we are taking all these topics out of the closet. We're talking about them without shame. We are being very direct and frank. And that is all in the spirit of healing and transparency and bringing us closer together. So that's our little warning. Here comes the episode. Welcome to another episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. I'm Rocky. And I'm Natalie. And today we're going to talk about the kink conversation. And I say it that way because, well, we talk about kink and maybe you might want to talk about kink because uh, if you're not talking about it, it's probably not going to happen for you without (laughs) too much effort. But before we get to that, I was just going to say, we've been dropping breadcrumbs for about this conversation coming up for several episodes now. We've been referencing that this one needs to happen, and there's there's some stuff about kink that we want to clarify. Yes, and it should be quite exciting if you're looking to expand your horizons and get a little bit adventurous in your pleasure scenarios at home. But like I said, before that, I want to talk about the ability for our listeners to chime in. Yeah. So we we are planning to create an episode structure every now and then where we're directly referencing your questions and the things that you would like for us to talk about. There's an opportunity to connect with us on our website at the top of our website, gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. You can send us any comments about the show or any questions and for sure anything that you would love to hear us talk about. There's also an opportunity to sign up for our email list and we have a couple little great edition freebies to send to you and we really want to have your involvement in guiding this conversation because we're having it for you. I mean we are super into having it ourselves because we're really passionate about this but it's for you first and foremost because we're we're here for you. And besides the fact that we want it for you, we're hearing from you already that you want to chime in. You've got something to say. You've been telling me 
and Natalie's listeners have been telling Natalie, hey, what about this? What about that? So yeah, you're engaged already. We know that. And we want to make a space so that you can participate because, I mean, this is really a discussion that, you know, everyone should be involved in. We don't want to be, we don't want to bogart this conversation. <laughs> so it's going to be like a Q&A structure and, uh, and we'll do it every, every now and then. So we would love to start to invite you to send in what you would like to hear. All right. That said... What is kink? So a number of you have come to me after hearing previous mentions of kink in earlier episodes. And um, so I know that this this conversation is sought after. So we're going to start with talking about what kink is. So uh, Natalie and I were talking about this a little bit before the show started. And I've got a question on here that says, can kink be something that you are just inhibited about? Something that, you know, you kind of feel like, well, you know, that's not sex. That's not intercourse. Sex is normal. Uh, Let's say a finger in your anus is not normal. So that must be kinky. You, You want to put your finger in my anus, that's kinky. What a lot of people kind of relate to what kink is will probably be BDSM. But I'm going to contend that it's much, much more than that. So... We can start with BDSM and then we can talk about the things that maybe you're just inhibited about. Yeah. So you touched on a a few things that going back to the the question of kink and inhibition, I want to start by saying that I personally don't believe that inhibition equals kinky, that that's not necessarily how we define kink. To me, kink is more in the realm of play where we expand our definition of what sex is. And I do think that it can be subjective. And so, you know, to one person, anal sex could be considered kinky to them. Uh, Whereas another person, that's completely the norm and, and not at all an expression of kink for them. So I think for me, I would, I would like first define kink as an individual thing. What is kinky to you is different than what is kinky to me and is different than what is kinky to that guy. And so trying to create an umbrella definition of what kink is, is kind of missing the point because it's an individual exploration. Okay, well, I, I can buy into that. I, I don't know that there's a definition. Well, I'm sure there is. I mean, maybe I should go to Wikipedia and see what the definition of kink is. We could have done that to prepare for this episode, frankly. And I think it's interesting that we're just taking our organic experience and molding the conversation of that. I actually like that better for us, personally. Winging it and making it our, our own? Yeah. So... For me, personally, I'll speak from personal perspective for a minute here since we're talking about individual kink. I feel like I am getting into kinky play personally whenever I feel I am meeting a personal edge for myself. And that can look like a lot of things. And that sensation of being on the edge while engaging in sex is quite intense. And one of the reasons why we're so driven to explore what's kinky, because 
it's sensationally ah, very, very satisfying. There's a lot going on there. So yes, BDSM is definitely under the umbrella for most people of kink. And that covers a variety of things, bondage, things like rope play and rigging, domination, submission, and masochism. Right. Sadism and masochism. Is that right? I think it's sadomasochism. Sadomasochism. Yeah. So I did pull up Wikipedia and it says kink under sexuality, colloquial, I I never can say that word, colloquial term for non-normative sexual behavior. So how appropriate for us, because really what are we so about is making so many sexual behaviors normal. Normalizing, yeah. Yeah, we're normal. That's the idea here is normalizing things. So, uh, gosh, let's take everything and normalize it. Little side <laughs> note about how much we can actually trust Wikipedia. I discovered today and was furious to find that Wikipedia describes the clitoris as being the size of a pea. Wikipedia still does not present us with the accurate size and shape and structure of the clitoris. Still, it's 2023, people. And we still collectively don't seem to understand that the clitoris isn't a pea. FYI, Wikipedia is open to you to go in there. Not anymore. It's not? Not anymore. You can't edit it? You can't edit? I I don't know the full story, but I got got into this on my Facebook when I made this discovery. They were like, go in and edit. And and, yeah, nope. Then somebody else said, nope, you can't anymore. And yeah, so I haven't actually like explored why you can't or, but, or how what the deal is with it. But apparently that's, I figure someone would have gone in there and corrected it by now if that were the case. Yeah, well, you know, that would be a coder. And, uh, you know, I mean, is that a woman's world? Excuse me. It can be. Okay, I'm being stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, you know, what can I say? If they if they're not getting it, it's not a woman at the helm, is it? We'll put the clitoris problem aside for right now. Yeah. Okay. And so BDSM, just to clarify, it you know that's bondage. So yes, that's the rope play and rigging and whatnot. Domination is the D. And SM is sadomasochism, which is pain. Did you pull up the Wikipedia for kink or for BDSM? I wasn't sure which that was. Kink. That was kink. Okay. So I want to say that I don't love the definition or the reference to like non-normative because culturally our definition of what is like normal and normative is different than it is individually and like on a, even like a community basis. And so- That's why I think it's important to think about it as an individual thing, because there can be such a wide range of things that do or don't appear normal to us. So I think that just kind of points back to the subjectiveness of it. It depends on what's normal to you. Yeah. That's, you know, kind of where we started with this is, you know, kink has to do with how you feel. Are you excited to explore the world of pleasure? If so, head to Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky.com, where you can choose your own adventure. I think our next question is like, where do our kinks come from? How do we become kinky? Why do certain things do more for us than 
others. I want to obviously clarify that this is a totally shame-free kink conversation. And so just highlighting that there's a person that finds everything under the sun kinky, everything under the sun. And some of them are things that we as a society consider acceptable. And some of them are things that we as a society don't consider acceptable. But there is a representation. There is an example of someone getting off on something of all things everywhere. (laughs) And so being kinky is an extremely normal part of our human experience. All humans are kinky in one way or another. It just expresses itself in different ways. Eventually, I would love to get one of my friends from my network in here to talk about existential kink, which is a way to use a kink approach to personal growth, a line of thinking that is really fascinating to me. Because our kinks are rooted in our experiences in life. And there are certain things that shift us in the direction of one thing or another and, and you know, bring our focus and our attention and, and our attraction to it. A lot of our kinks are developed when we have these like multi-layered experiences. When we're young, our sexuality is just kind of developing itself on its own. It's just a process that we go through as we mature, like our sexuality is coming online. Our body processes are starting to do their thing. Our hormones are starting to do their thing. Becoming a sexual being isn't really a choice for us. It just is a thing that happens to us. And as it's happening to us, we're having all of these experiences in life. And sometimes our sexual attraction or pleasure becomes mixed in with one of these other experiences in life. And one of the questions that I received from the audience came in response to when I started talking about how the expression of our kinks can sometimes be traced back to trauma in its root. And so one example that I will give is actually very, very common for women who have experienced some kind of assault to actually begin to fantasize further about things happening to them without their consent. And um, this can be a very, very confusing experience for a woman because it's often kind of laced in, in shame and why am I desiring this awful thing that happened? I have lots of clients that come in. And one of the things that I see that they are looking to do is to take their control back, take their agency back. Uh, Assault is a a situation where someone usurped their agency, their ability to say no, and their ability to say anything, really. And they basically hijacked or kidnapped their agency and use it against them without regard for any of their feelings. But, you know, different things happen in that situation. So your agency is taken away. Your ability to say no is taken away. But maybe some of it felt good. So that is part of the the problem. It's like, okay, maybe some of it felt good. Maybe some of it didn't. It's definitely true that our bodies can have automatic sexual responses to sexual touch, even when it's not wanted. 
so I, I agree that there could be this experience of this duality in feeling where emotionally you're really suffering in the experience, but your body could be having sensations of pleasure. That's definitely not what happens for all women who experience assault. There's, a, there's definitely cases where your body doesn't do that. Your body just shuts down. Right. And then there's also cases where, okay, so maybe it wasn't pleasurable. Maybe it wasn't terrible either. And in some kind of hindsight, you know, you've got some kind of replay, some kind of curiosity or fascination or whatever about it that, you know, kind of pulls you back in. And sometimes what you have to do to like silence that is take it back, take control of your body back. And that's where a lot of women come to see me is, okay, here I am creating this safe space where they can take their body back and be in control of saying, well, I want this and I don't want that. And I'm choosing how my body gets touched or used or whatever the case may be to kind of emulate the situation in a way or not. It doesn't have to be emulating the situation, but creating a sexual experience where you are now in control and you are in 100% say over your body. That's the kind of general healing experience that is available in your sessions through the kink lens. I would say that the women who are coming to you and selecting the choice, do what you want to me, those are the ones who are more in this, this kinky vein of wanting to experience something by choice that maybe didn't happen by choice in the past. It's both and because I've, I've said in a previous episode that those women are also just naturally looking for a man to be in a leadership position. And that's their way of asking for that. And, and when they ask for it like that, they aren't always aware of like how to do that safely. And they aren't always aware that safety is available to them in intimacy, I would say. But if I am coming to you for the first time, say, and I ask you to do what you want to me, I am looking to take a sense of power back by choosing to have an experience that I find kinky now and actually getting off on it. And it's the getting off on it that gives that like reclamation of power feeling. Okay. So there's a, actually a phrase for that. I want to bring that up. It's called consensual non-consent. So you're consenting to something that you kind of don't want to consent to. You want to pretend that you didn't consent to it so that you can kind of experience something that's in your control, but out of your control. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really common one. I think a lot of women really like naturally have that kink, that desire to be taken, you know, and I mean, there's a lot in our culture that reinforces that idea as well. So speaking of consensual non-consent, one of the reasons why it's so important to me to have this conversation is because I absolutely believe that it is possible to have a relationship with kink that is entirely pleasurable and safe. And I also think that it's entirely possible to have a relationship with kink that is risky and harmful and unsafe. And I think that 
a lot of people who are engaging in kinky behaviors don't necessarily recognize the lack of safety or the harm that is taking place. And so in the case of, say, domination and submission, there is absolutely a dom-sub dynamic that is healthy and respectful and mutually meets the needs of both people. And it's possible to do it in a way that serves both both people in a reciprocal way. And it's also entirely possible for a dom-sub relationship to be built on essentially relating to each other through each other's wounds. Someone can desire to be dominant because they feel insecure, and someone can desire to be submissive because they feel insecure. The healthy version of a dom-sub relationship requires a healthy dom and a healthy sub, which means both are feeling secure in themselves and they come together in a relationship dynamic. A lot of the time, the nature of that dynamic ends up being a crutch for people emotionally and a way to continue engaging in things that are perpetuating wounded beliefs about themselves, perpetuating insecurity. Is that the part of what you would consider the dark and unhealthy side of kink? Yeah. So in all things, we need to be discerning. And there's the beautiful side of kink, which is the healthy, safe space that is created for all of our wild expression and all of our desires and everything that we're excited about. There's kink done in that realm, which can bring you closer together in a relationship or in a group of people even uh, is quite common. There's definitely a healthy side to kink. And there's a lot of engagement in kink that it's the shadow side. It's because kink is ultimately pleasurable to us, we can't always tell if it's harming us. Because if we're just focused on the pleasure, we may not notice that there's cumulative harm. Okay, what kind of harm are you talking about? Where, where do we get harmed in something that we're consenting to? Oh, actually, I'll, I'll throw one in. I got one. So I have a client that told me about a session where she had nipple clamps on and they stayed on too long. And the pain of taking them off was the most excruciating experience she ever had in her life. Because somehow they like, when the blood came back into them, it was, it was horrific. Are we talking about physical things like that? No. I mean, yes, that can count. But uh, more, I was more referencing like, I'll, I'll give a personal example. When I was younger, before I did a lot of healing work and like inner self-exploration uh, and a lot of self-love work, honestly, I used to have a kink for being degraded and like <laughs> degradation is a kink that if you're going to engage in it safely, man, is that an endeavor? <laughs> because, you know, the amount of aftercare and like just the sheer demonstration of love needed outside those degradation scenes is like, would be so much to kind of undo the harm that comes from degradation. We develop a kink for becoming degraded because we have these experiences where like we receive 
criticism or, or negative feeling from someone. And then there's also some sexual energy wrapped up in there. Also, I just want to say that a lot of our sexual preferences are formed in our teenage years, and they can be formed through interactions with our parents. Like we can develop kinks for things because we may be struggling with challenging things with our parents while our sexuality is developing and those wires can get crossed. So like, say you're a teenager at home hearing what a piece of shit you are all the time and how much you need to improve yourself and become a better person. And you're also becoming a sexual being and like, you know, regularly your body's just like super turned on all the time. Suddenly your brain is like mixing super turned on with hearing that you are a shitty person. <laughs> and so then your body starts to have an automatic response where like, I mean, it's, it's totally possible where those wires can get crossed enough where simply be, being told that you're a shitty person by, you know, someone that you're sexually attracted to may turn your body on, may make you go, Ooh, hello. Now there's no shame around what turns you on. There's no shame in this kink space. And is that really good for us? If we're turned on by hearing bad things about ourselves, is it really possible to argue that that could be a healthy thing? I don't know. I personally think that there are potentially other ways to meet the root desire that is coming from degradation. I think maybe like a sense of diminishment is also there. So there are people who find pain kinky. And again, I, like while not making anyone's kink wrong or shaming anything, my question is, should we all be examining what we find kinky? And if it's something that is harmful, should we be looking under the hood and seeing if we can shift that? That's, you know, what I see a lot is the clients that come to see me have usually something going on and it's a confrontation. Let's say somebody's being degraded or likes that. And it's like, I don't know if this is good or not. So, you know, I want to step into it a little bit. I want to, I want to lean in and explore it and like be present with it and go after, you know, my own self-therapy about, okay, I'm, I'm going to take it and see if it's really what I like, or it's just something that's lingering that is a fantasy that once I get it, it's like, eh, it wasn't really what I wanted. So you can explore it, whether you think it's something that you'd need to look under the hood or not and direct it, control it, manage it, be, you know, your own advocate about how you want to handle it. I think the last thing that we should do is make our kinks wrong somehow. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that. No, I know you're not suggesting that. I think that making anything kinky wrong just increases the desire for it. It's kind of how kink works. You and I, you can tell by this conversation that operating in kink isn't necessarily our home space. I have a connection in my network who I'm very excited to invite on to hear in the near future and have a deeper kink conversation with someone who is very, very well-versed in the existing world of kink and can take this conversation much, much deeper. What I wanted to say about it is that I think that there is incredible value in looking into why we find kinky what we do. Because I think that if you trace the thread back 
of all of our kinks, you will find that original experience that planted it in our bodies as something meaningful to us and attractive to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can exercise a lot more conscious control over how we are choosing to engage with each other when we've taken the time to examine why we like what we like, why we're into what we're into. So I have one. I, I, I'm going to throw out there. We didn't. This isn't in our notes. I'm I'm blindsided, Natalie here with this one. Daddy or age play or old young, something you and I have talked about before. And you have some understanding of. I, yeah, I have a theory about daddy. This is maybe a whole separate conversation, but it's basically the concept of, of leaky sexual energy. I think that a lot of daddy fantasies are rooted in dad's sexuality playing a much larger role in the household of the family than he is consciously aware of. So just like lack of boundaries around sexuality, being around the family with highly charged sexual energy, making sexualized comments or jokes, just like bringing sexual energy around, infusing the space with it, not necessarily being appropriate about it, maybe being, you know, entirely focused on mom and kids are just witnessing it. But like the lack of boundaries and the inappropriateness of dad is what all girls are fantasizing about with the daddy fantasy. And so I believe that it starts with a lack of appropriateness on dad's part, and it can be very subtle. It can be entirely indirect it can just be that dad's sexuality is just like known in the household or it's talked about or it's not necessarily that like, you know, daddy touched me. But, you know, we're having this whole conversation around how men in general don't really understand the impact that they have on women. And we're talking about the kids, too. And so I really suspect it is a lack of consciousness on the part of the father. And while sexuality was developing, you know, body turn on occurred at inappropriate times while dad's sexuality was involved in the scene in any way. I also think that, you know, we are energetic beings. We feel each other's energy. Like you can feel what someone's vibe is when they walk in a room. You can feel if they've got thunderclouds above their head. You can, you know, feel if they're like super radiant and vibey. Uh, you can also feel when someone's sending you sexy energy. Like you can feel across the room when someone's looking at you like they want you. And so we feel each other's energy. And dads are going around the house being highly charged sexual beings with completely lacking awareness that the other people in the house can feel what's going like they're impacted by that. This is such an interesting you know, kind of dilemma for families, it occurs to me. I mean, so I have kids and I'm a sexual being and, you know, but I try to put on my dad face, you know, around the rest of the family, my uh, sexuality, I, you know, closed my door and locked it if I'm in a a compromised position, if I'm naked or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's, family dynamics where it's overly sterile about sexuality. You know, maybe someone has a religion that 
pushes down all vestiges of anything sexual to the degree that it's like sex doesn't even exist. And that's damaging too. That's not necessarily better. That, that kind of creates the kinkiest of people. Repression leads to massive kink. Yeah. So, I mean, this leaky sexual energy maybe isn't necessarily, you know, is it a bad thing? I wasn't talking about like flopping your ding dong out around the family. Like I I was more no, that, like- No, that's what I said. Is the leaky sexual energy a bad thing? I'm not talking about clearly, you know, dad being naked and touching and things like that. Are you sitting in the room with your family looking at pictures of women on your cell phone thinking lusty thoughts about them. That is something that your family can feel. That that would be an example of lack of boundaries and having leaky energy. Uh, same if you're like, you know, thinking heavy, lusty thoughts about your wife and your kids are around. Also though, like experiencing a lot of sexual frustration can also be like super leaky energy. It's more about what you're thinking and the kind of energy you're holding in your body while you're interacting with the fam. I think that a lot of men believe that if they're just, you know, quiet and go through the motions and and, and are just there, that it doesn't matter what they're thinking about or what their energy is doing. But your energy as a man is so influential on the whole household. It's the foundation for the household. It's what everybody anchors into. And if those boundaries aren't there, then it's just instant feeling of, of insecurity. Okay. So you're a young woman, you've got dad having these, you know, leaky energies creating discomfort. How does, how does that translate into it being now a kink? How do, how do we get there? How does that happen? Well, it's because it's a totally unconscious thing that happens where if you're inappropriately experiencing your dad's sexuality or his friend's sexuality, older men's sexuality in inappropriate ways, it does not just have to be dad, but any older men that are close to you. If you're inappropriately experiencing their sexuality while you're a teenager and your sexuality is developing, your body is going to create associations with men that age and turn on. So that's what starts to feed your fantasies. You start to you, you start to feel attraction for that dynamic because your body associates it with turn on. Your body's capable of being turned on by lots of other things, but our experience feeds what attracts us. So until we go back and look at like why am I so attracted to older men? What is, like why am I into the daddy scene? If if we don't unpack that and like go, oh, I see, wires crossed. Well, then we're going to be like still chasing down that dynamic and calling it our kink the rest of our life. But actually what it is, is it's an expression of our trauma. And that's not naturally what we're attracted to. And so we have to do the work to kind of like, okay, so I'm going to figure out how to make myself not attracted to that and then move myself in the direction of being attracted to something else, which is quite a journey of, <laughs> of figuring out what... Once you realize that your natural attraction is not all that healthy and is based in ideas that your underdeveloped brain came up with <laughs> just based on what you went through, it's like, oh, well, what now? Okay. Well, let me twist this a little bit. Okay. So this feeling of daddy, your real dad or his friends, inappropriate, socially, technically, all of that, right? So 
I don't know, you're 16 years old, you're, you're, uh, as a woman, your libido is active, things are happening, you're getting excited, you're out in the world. And there are older men out there, dad's age, and they're leering at you, they're looking, they're lusting, and you notice them. Okay, does that change the appropriateness of it? Does that foster the kink? You're, you're saying like you just, you get out into the world and older men are attracted to you? Yeah, I mean... Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, these older men are, you know, paying attention to me. They're the, they're the same age as my dad. They're not my dad. They don't know my dad, whatever. Okay. Getting with one of those men, yes, would feed the kink. And, you know, you could develop a relationship pattern based on finding men your father's age to get you off. <laughs> Does that feel safer? Well, it, the safety question is all is a total in, individual thing. That comes down to individual discernment. And are you are you selecting someone to partner yourself with based on signs that they know how to interact with you safely? I would say that most of the time, when we are going off of our unconscious attraction and say I'm into older daddies, and we're just looking for older daddies. I would say that the actual definition of safety, like healthy safety, like emotional safety, like we've been talking about is not what is governing someone's choices who is just following that attraction. So the likelihood that you're going to match up with a partner who's going to create healthy intimacy with you in that scenario, not to mention the fact that, you know, super older men who are looking at younger women are, are stunted in some way and you know, are simply needing to do some growing of their own so that they can find adults their own age attractive. That's maybe my bit of a bitter female opinion, but... So that's a kink is bad scenario. Oh, I don't ever want to say kink is bad. I want to say kink is <laughs> is an invitation to examine why you like what you like with complete non-judgment. Because, you know, when we go back and we look at the roots of these things, it can be easy to judge ourselves. So, you know, my thesis here is not like <laughs> telling people like fix your kink. No, my thesis is everyone's kink is individual. It is informed by the experiences that we had as we were sexually developing. Is that what makes it safe and healthy is your introspective examination of it? Safe and healthy engagement in kink is more about partner selection, using discernment and communication and creating healthy boundaries around what you're choosing to engage in. Like I said, there's the beautiful, healthy, safe space of kink that there's every reason for us to play there. Uh, and we play there when we find a partner who we know can respect boundaries and treat us with love, whatever that looks like for us. And then there's there's a lot of kinky stuff where people are just being reckless and they're just re-traumatizing themselves by continuing to perpetuate harm by choosing something that harmed them in the first place, but they also had a pleasure association with it. So now they're still driving that train. So what do you suggest that, how do they identify the dark and unhealthy as opposed to the healthy kink. Where do you see that line? Is there a line or is it is it a gray area? I don't think that we can necessarily categorize like types of kink as healthy or unhealthy. I think asking, is this something that supports me could be helpful. Okay. That sounds productive. Yeah. An example coming to me. 
if you like pain, there's absolutely pain play that lives in the beautiful, healthy kink world. Pain and pleasure go together really juicy and creating like contrast can be really hot and really intense. And if you're with a partner that you trust completely and feel completely safe with, and you want to experience some pain with some pleasure, I don't think that there's anything unhealthy about playing with sensation in that way. I did meet someone once who enjoyed pain to such a degree that they were regularly getting intense bruising, asking to be bit super duper duper hard in certain places that just like shocked me. And I would say that when we get to that end of things, it's an opportunity to take a step back and, you know, what am I chasing here? Is this supporting me? I'm certain that the amount of pain that person was asking for, it was gratifying for them. That's why they kept asking for it. They were getting pleasure from the degree of pain. And so on one hand, you could argue that it's supporting them because they are, they're getting off on it. But in the big picture, is it supporting them to be experiencing regularly these large amounts of pain and, and kind of like chasing this intensity dragon? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's actually something that would be good to unpack a bit and look at what's there. The one that like kind of sticks in my craw is degradation. I just wonder like in what realm it is supportive to hear insulting things about oneself. I used to get off on it. I used to get pleasure from it. And it was, you know, it was self-reflection on my end that led me to look at the accumulation of experiences. Okay, well, I've, you know, heard that I'm a piece of shit X number of times. How do I feel about myself after having heard it that many times? Not any better, not supported, not very secure in myself. And so you're really just perpetuating the same experience in that case. You're keeping yourself in this place that isn't all that healthy. So I think kink needs to be talked about and needs to come out of the closet because this kind of examination is necessary. You know, are you engaging in something that is contributing to your life and the life of others and doing good things? Or are you doing something that's ultimately unsupportive? Are you growing? Are you healing? Are you coming closer together in intimacy by playing the way that you're playing? Mm. Yeah. You know, do you feel like what you do brings you together? So just throw a bunch of things out there that, that you think might fall into the realm of kink. <laughs> I mean, people have foot fetishes. People, people uh, okay. People yeah. fetishize all kinds of, of body parts. Mm. Um. I'm kind of a fan of lingerie. Does that make uh, does that make me kinky? Uh, I'm not interested in if it's not on her. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would define that as kinky. I, I guess if I go back to my definition of kink, where I'm, I'm talking about like things that make me personally feel like I'm playing at my edge. If you apply that definition to you, lingerie isn't really you playing at your edge. It's just something that you're attracted to. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're back to that normative. Well, it, because it's individual. What's, right. what's kinky to you is not not necessarily what's kinky to me. I mean, really, the answer is anything can be kinky. We can have a kinky attraction to anything, including things that are bad for us. And that's why kink deserves examination. Okay. 
All right. Well, that kind of covers our list. What do you think for an action for people today? I would say just create awareness. Ask yourself, what, what is kink to me? I mean, this this whole time we're talking about how it's individual. So the way that you're going to define that for yourself is going to look different than anyone else. So what's kink to me, but still interests me? Because I mean, if leather is kinky, but it doesn't interest you, I mean, why bother even you know putting it on your list? Well, then it's not kinky to you. Kinky is what puts you at your edge, what you feel this like really edgy attraction to, this really strong attraction and, and that you feel is outside the norm for you. Okay. Um, yeah. So you're going to be attracted to whatever you put on your kink list. All right. So make a list. We got email on our website. So send us your list. We want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see, I want to see some of these kinky lists. Okay, I'm telling everybody, if you send us your list, we're going to read it. We're not going to tell anybody your name. We're just going to read some of the things that you think are kinky. Okay, anonymously reading people's lists. I can think that yeah. might be fun. Yeah. All right. That's our show for today. See you next week, we think. Uh, the next one is going to be why good sex is way better than porn sex. Hmm. Okay. I'm Rocky. I'm Natalie. Thanks for being here. Thank you. See you next week. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. For more resources and ways to work with us, visit gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. Please don't forget to follow, rate, review, and share the show. Join us again next week for another stimulating episode. We're here to expand your view of what's possible in intimacy and pleasure.